All right, so today I'm going to be talking about being seated with him, becoming the visible display of his riches and his grace and his glory. I want to read this out of, uh, starting with Ephesians 2, if you want to turn there. I'm going to be reading it out of the Passion. This one, I got a bunch of stuff I'm going to be reading, but a couple of them are going to be out of the Passion. Some will be out of ESV, but it'll be up there regardless, so you can read along up there if you want. So I'm just going to start off by kicking this thing off with the verse here. So it says in uh, chapter 2 of Ephesians, verse number 4, it says, But God still loved us with such great love. He's so rich in compassion and mercy. And even when we were dead and doomed in our many sins, he united us into the very life of Christ and saved us by his wonderful grace. He raised us up with Christ, the exalted one, and we ascended with him. We ascended. That's done. It's a past tense thing, just so we get that clear. We ascended with him into the glorious perfection and authority of the heavenly realm. For we are now, 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 right now, co-seated as one with Christ. Throughout the coming ages, we will be the visible display of the infinite, limitless riches of his grace and kindness, which was showered upon us in Jesus Christ. That's good stuff. It's all happening right now. You're seated in chairs and you're seated on a throne right now. It's a good deal. So we've been talking a lot about purpose the last couple weeks. That's what's been happening. We've been talking. I think we talked, a couple of them were like touching heaven and changing earth. We talked about power and authority that we have. We talked about our divine position in the body. And we talked about that people are our purpose of being on the earth. And this is another one of those purposes that were designed and built by Christ and by God himself to be the visible display. To be a visible display of his infinite and limitless riches. That's good because that means your life has a purpose. So, I do have a question for you though. This is where it gets tough, okay? Hold on a second. I have a question for you. How many of you are actually living as though you've been given and are seated on a heavenly throne? How many of you? few of us, I bet. We're trying, right? We're doing our best. It's one of the things that's tough about being, about being us. But living from the throne and being a visible display. So one of the things that I was thinking of is that we have to grow into this inheritance. We don't just get given it all. I guess we do get given it all, but then I I think he kind of gives it to us a little bit by a little bit by a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Because babies to adults, young to the mature, you get, it's just like having the same amount of knowledge. It's, it's, you know, I, I I got to turn, you know, turn 40 this year, so I'm way smarter than I was 20 years ago. I don't know if that's true or not. It feels like it sometimes, but, uh, so, so we just have to, I wrote this down because it's easier for me, right, guys? You guys get to look at the top of my head because I read a lot. But we have to grow into and shape ourselves into our inheritance by walking and talking with our father. A son or a daughter who's born to an intelligent father and king doesn't just get it all handed over to them. Some things have to happen first. So I thought of a couple things. You know, like you ever watch the movies and stuff like that where there's a king and they're shaping the prince to become the next king? One of the things that they have to learn is they have to learn the land. So I think of Simba, you know. He's sitting on the thing and his father says, everything that the son touches, that's yours. So that means beyond that, don't go there, right? That's what he's saying, don't go there. And if you do, you're going to be in trouble and that's what happens in the movie. I got a lot of Disney today. I got four kids, so just bear with me. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? So he says everything. You got to learn the land. And that's what, it, that's what a good father does is he says, this is where we go. And he walked with them. And he, and he taught them. And he taught them, this is, this is the boundaries. These are where, this is where we're safe. This is where we have our home. This is ours. This is our place. And that's what God does with us with the things that we have. Another thing that you have to do is you, they kind of, they, they, they walk around and they meet they meet the people that work for them. They meet the people that work the land, and they find out what their job is. They teach them their job, and they kind of learn what is, what is you know, like, I don't know, what does the guy who runs the plow do? What is the guy who, you know, cleans the water? I don't know, because that's what farmers do. I don't know farm stuff. 
But you get the point. They kind of learn what, what's happening so that they can lead well, so that they can teach well, so that they can even teach their, next, their own son what's coming up. Another thing that they do is they learn the surrounding nations. You know, have you ever seen those like that? So that's what a king will tell them. This is, this is this country. This is this country. This is this country. And this is what they're about. This is what they believe. This is what they think. That's what, that's what happens as we're growing into our inheritance. Another thing is that they learn certain behaviors in certain situations. You know, like, I, was, I can't remember what, I was thinking Princess Diaries, but whatever. There's like a couple movies where they're like, no, that spoon's for the silver bowl and that spoon. That, you know what I'm saying? You've got to use the, this, this spoon's for that specifically. And if you use that spoon, you're going to tell that king that you hate him in his face. So you, gotta, you know what I mean? Like, there's all these weird little rules that come with, with, with being, with stepping into that stuff. And that's, but that's kind of what, what it is that's what it is we're walking with the lord he steps us into our inheritance he walks us around the land he teaches us the different jobs you know that people have in in the body the different things that people do you know you have the big ones the apostles prophets pastors evangelists teachers and then you have those who do this those who do that and it gets down to all that you know the the nitty-gritty you got the the, like uh pastor terry was talking about a couple weeks ago it, it goes down to everybody has significance and everybody has a purpose everybody has a point It's true. So it's time to make a choice. It's time to make a choice. I was thinking about, there's this really cool story about Evan Roberts. So there's this big giant revival. If you don't know what a revival is, that means that God moves in a specific area and at a specific time, and he basically explodes all of his goodness onto a specific area. That's what we call revival. That's a very general description of it. But back in the early 1900s, there was one that happened in Wales, and it was huge, and it was a real big deal. And it was led by a guy named Evan Roberts. Um, he just felt the Lord tell him that Wales was going to experience revival. He just believed it because he spent, he did all this wild stuff. The guy would spend, he'd go all day to school, then he'd go and pray all night long, and then he'd get like an hour of sleep and then go back at school and do all this stuff. And while he was doing that, he had a visitation with the, with the Lord, and the Lord told him, I'm going to come and touch Wales. I'm going to come and bring my revival to Wales. So here's Evan Roberts with this cool thing, like, oh, great, God's going to bring revival to my country. He's going to bring revival to Wales. But now what, you know? <laughs> I'm just Evan Roberts, basically, is what he thought. But he knew what God said. And so there's a story about one of the first places that he went to. He was in the meeting, basically like a church service. It was like, we'll say it's a Sunday morning. I don't remember what day it was, but say it's a Sunday morning service. The church is full. And he asks the pastor, he says, I have a word, and I want to invite people to join me in something if you'll let me, if you'll let me speak. And so let's say there's 150 people there. And the pastor says, well, I'll let you speak after church is over. And whoever wants to stay, if they want to stay behind and listen, then they can hear you. And so here he goes. About 50 people stay behind. 50 or 60 people stay behind. And Evan Roberts delivers his message and says, Wales is going to experience revival. Basically has his uh, you know, Jerry Maguire moment and says, who's coming with me? Right? 13 people. 13 people stood up. And that's what he did the next day. 13 people, mind you, for a whole entire nation. But 13 people stood up. And the very next day, Evan Roberts went over to the newspaper and said, write this article because revival is coming to Wales. 13 people stood. And he believed in that moment, this is all I need. This is it, 13 people. Revival's here. It's coming. It's now. That 13 people, 13 burning ones that stood for him that day, that stood with him that day, that was enough for him to believe that revival was coming. So that's kind of where we're at right now, I think. That's the place that we're at. Pastor Terry's standing up, and he's saying, I know that healing is here. I know that healing is coming. I know, and we've been learning on Wednesday nights. If you go over there, we've been watching video. We've been talking about healing. We've been talking about this. We've been talking about that. And, and, you know, all this stuff is happening. And he said, here it is. So here's the moment. 
here's a moment that we all have to embrace. And that's kind of what I want to talk about today. But I also want to talk about how it's hard. <laughs> okay? This is a difficult thing. It's hard to believe because even Evan Roberts, in the early parts of his life and in the late parts of his life, struggled deeply with depression. And this is a guy who saw miracle after miracle after miracle, and he struggled with depression, anxiety, and fear. And one of the things that I think is common and central to all of us because, you know, is that we struggle. I think it's one of the basic human deals. It's, a, it's like this question of who am I all the time. Who am I? What am I good for? What's this? It's all these questions we always tend to ask ourselves. And I think it's because, well, I know it's because. Way back in the day, they ate some fruit, and we gave up our thrones. We gave up our identity, and now we have to get it back through our acceptance with Christ. And so it kind of causes this, this chaos of mind. Because we're walking around trying to figure out who we are. But I'm about to tell you who you are. It's going to be good. We struggle with our identities. We struggle with our, you know, our, our bodies. That's one thing that people struggle with. We struggle with, I don't know, we struggle, right? It's just a deal. It's part of the deal. It's being human. It's the, point, it's the part of being human that requires God, that's what makes him good and us cool for saying yes, you know? So I'm going to try to kind of answer this a little bit and see if we can find out what our identity is, how, how we can get to that point. Because like I said, we have a choice laid out before us. We have a choice to be part of those 13 burning ones that stood up with Evan Roberts. We can join that party and be ones who bring revival to a city and to a nation and to a state. So let, to try to find us out, let's, um, let's turn to the book of Christopher Robin. <laughs> Told you I had a lot of Disney. Okay, so if anybody hasn't seen the Christopher Robin movie that just came out, it's really good. But this is where we're going. So here's the deal. So Christopher Robin, the new one that just came out. I'm not going to try to ruin it for you, but he's in his 40s now. He's married, has a beautiful little girl, and he has this job making suitcases, luggage. He's the luggage guy, and he's pretty important in a job, right? And so he's, he's doing all of this stuff, and he's working all the time, constantly working. He had, he had, in the beginning, he's a kid, and he has to leave. He has to leave and all this stuff, and it's really sad. The beginning of the movie is really sad, but it gets good. So, you know, but so he's, str- he's kind of struggling, just like I was talking about. He's struggling, just like everybody else does. And he's trying to do the right thing, and he feels like he's doing the right thing. And then this is kind of what happened to him. So one of the first things, he had to leave the 100-acre woods, right? And then after that, he worked super hard to give his wife and his daughter good stuff, to the things that were needed, you know? And then... uh one of the next things he did, he believed he was doing the right thing. Like I said, his job slowly and sadly became his identity. He, he forgot that his identity was Christopher Robin. He forgot that he was the guy that had adventures, that he was the guy who had these big dreams, that he had these big things because he just kind of what happens to a lot of us is he lost the joy of his first love. His imagination lost the joy of his first love. So here they are. They're out going on. So he's supposed to have a family weekend, right? He's supposed to go off and not work. He's supposed to go be with his wife and his daughter. It doesn't work out because his boss tells him he's got to stay. He's got to work. And he keeps telling him, just one, one more thing, just one thing. I've got to do one thing, and then I'll be out there. I'll be out there. I'll be out there. But then because she misses her daddy, his daughter runs away through the whole process. So he and Pooh end up going on an adventure together again because somehow he ends up with Winnie the Pooh again. And there comes this point where Christopher Robin has to stand up to the heffalump. You guys remember the heffalump? It's like an elephant. And he's scary. You know, he's this big mean thing and the 
the scene's really kind of cool. He's in the water, and he's like this elephant. So he's got this point, and he, he gets to the point where he has to stand up to the heffalump, and he, he completely falls apart. I can't do this. He's like, this is, he, you know, because he's in his 40-year-old mind that wants to get back to work. He's been carrying his briefcase around the whole time. He's trying, I got to get back, I got to get back, I got to get back. And Pooh's like, but we got we to gotta get the heffalump out of the way first. You're not going to be able to do it. And Christopher Robin just basically gives up, says this all is lost, and he's kind of laying there on the ground. And, and then Pooh does what Pooh does and says these fantastical and amazing things. And they're so simple, but they're fantastic. And he looks at him when Robin, Christopher Robin says, I can't do it, I can't do it. There's nothing I can do anymore. It's just done, it's over, I can't do it. Pooh looks at him and says... But, 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 you're Christopher Robin. Simple. Pooh believes in him so much that his name invokes fear, right? That his name is all he needs to know, but you're Christopher Robin. You're Christopher Robin. What are you talking about? You can't do it. You're the only one that can do it. Because they're stuffed animals. Think about that. They're stuffed animals. They can't do it. He's imagining them to do it, so he has to do it. You get what I'm saying? But Pooh's telling him, but you're Christopher Robin. Man, come on. Right? Never was there a doubt. Not one second did Pooh doubt him. Not a second. He knew all along that he was going to be able to do it. Every second along the way, Pooh just keeps saying all this little stuff. And when Christopher Robin gives up, all he says to him is, but you're Christopher Robin. And I'm here to tell you, that's, that's what the Father's saying to you. That's what he's saying to you this morning. I spent some time, I don't normally do this, but I spent some time with the Lord and he gave me some, some words for some of you. Because he wants to say, but, 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 he wants to say, but you are who you are. Because I feel like there's a lot of times where we struggle so hard that we forget that we're Christopher Robin. That our identity is so wrapped up in Jesus that we can live this thing from the throne that we're seated on. We can do this thing from peace. So I'm going to say a few. If I didn't get your name... It's not because you don't have a word or an identity, okay? But maybe something will come upon me while I'm going, and we'll see what happens. So like I said, when you feel like you can't, or when you feel like you're not enough, this is what is being said. So the Father's saying, but Jerry, but you're Jerry, faithful and true, my guide on as we march. But you're Joanne, the true and full representation of the spark of my all-consuming fire. But you're Fred, wise and full of health, healing and life. But you're Marie, the pure and perfect representation of my tranquility and peace. I'm going to say some people that aren't here, but that's okay. Because hopefully they'll listen to it. But you're Lily my beautiful flower, lover of life in the face of my joy. But you're Renee, my free and glorious tiny dancer. Upon you I have placed the life and light of my son, and in you I am so very well pleased. You're Jean Marie, my little girl who laughs with pure and distinct elation because you know me and you know my heart for you. You're Preston, man after my own heart and keeper of my romance. You're Cecil, called to love and care for the earth and to feed the masses with both the bread of the earth as well as the bread of life. You're Gail, my lightning rod and harbinger of the destiny of my children. You're Callie, my stalwart, loyal, hardworking, and reliable, the display of my steadfast heart. Speaking of steadfast, Pastor Terry, you are, Terry, the pure and true definition of my rock. He who shall not be moved, and he who shall not be shaken. 
I got a big word for you, Jen. Jen, you're my bastion, he said. That means someone who upholds my principles and attitudes as a representation of who I am to those around you. I got one for Mackenzie, too, my sweet, sweet little girl who shows my heart to all those around her with a smile and a soft and gentle soul, my whisper in the chaos of the world. Man, he's good. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Like I said, if I didn't say your name, it doesn't mean anything, by the way. Understood? Because you're Jen, and you're John, and he believes in you, and you're Irene. And you're John over there, John, John, John too. Everybody here, you have a purpose, and you have an identity. I promise you. And it's in him, and he knows who you are. He knows who you are, and all those doubts, all the things that you don't believe in yourself, he believes in them all the way. The things where we think we're not good enough, I guarantee you he says that you are. But it's in him, you get it? That's why it's beautiful being weak, because he can make us strong. It's because we need a God, we need a king. And one one of the little things, one of the subtle tricks... That the, that the enemy tries to do. One of the, I just wrote it down. One of the subtle tricks of the devil is to lull you into believing that you're living in all of the abundance that God has given. But God is the God of more than, more than. He tries, see the enemy tries to trick us. He tries to make us think that this, this is it. You got it. This, like, you, you think like, even when it's going well, don't get me wrong. I'm saying even when it's going well, and everything seems like it's perfectly laid out before you. All the steps are lining up. Everything's so good. Everything's great. Everything's peaceful. That's where he tries to come in and he says, this is it. Man, this is it. That's how he talks to you. He doesn't go, oh, this is it. This is all. I'm not talking about how he comes in and says, oh, well, this is all there is for you. No, I'm trying to tell you that he comes in and says, man, this is it. Look at you. You're living a dream. You've got it all. It's a subtle little game that he plays with you to try to convince you that there's not more try to convince you that what you are is good enough and it is but there's more there's always more because he is king of everything and even though he was the same yesterday today and forever he's new every morning i can't get enough of saying that i say that to myself every day it's to say you're the same today but you're new how weird is that So here we are. Another poo thing that he said. He said, I must go forward where I have never been instead of backwards where I have. That to me sounds like I'm going to go from glory to glory to glory to glory. I'm going to keep going forward. I'm going to keep stepping into what's there because I've already been there. You know, I've already, I've already been awesome right here. So why don't I be awesome right here? Right? Just keep stepping forward. Be awesome in the next thing. Be great in the next thing through his power and through his anointing. So I'm about to hit you with some of this truth juice. The Bible, it's coming at you. I'm coming at you rapid. Coming at you rapid fire. So don't try to follow along. If you want to write the verse down, go for it. But I'm going to read them to you. They'll be up there. Through our union with Christ, we too have been claimed by God as his own inheritance. Before we were even born, he gave us our identity that we would fulfill the plan of God, who always accomplishes every purpose and plan in his heart. That's Ephesians 1.11. Romans 8.28. So we are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together to fit into God's perfect plan of bringing good into our lives, for we are his lovers who have been called to fulfill his designed purpose. 
We have become his poetry, a recreated people that will fulfill the destiny he has given each of us. For we are joined to Jesus, the anointed one. Even before we were born, God planned in advance our destiny and the good works we would do to fulfill it. That's Ephesians 2.10. And some of that Old Testament for you, in case the New Testament isn't good enough. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. And if you need one of those old classics... I want you to hear it for the first time again today. I want you to hear it for the first time. A lot of times we learn something so often that we shut our brains off when we listen. But listen for the first time. This is the first time you've ever heard this. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You got purpose. I don't know, what was that, six, seven? That's just a little bit of the 66 chapters in the infinite, and it's not infinite. Well, it probably is because he speaks. His word speaks, continues to speak through his Holy Spirit. But this thing, this one tells us everything we need to know. It tells us everything about us, our purpose. It tells you your value. It tells you that you have worth. It tells you that you have skill. It tells you that you have everything that you need to live this dream of walking it out with Jesus. So let's go. This is our time. I really have a strong belief about the next two years. That they're going to be a defining moment for new life. They're going to be a defining moment for you, the people that are in this building. And I'm talking about new life. This church has got purpose. And it's coming at us. Whether it's slow or fast, don't care. I just know that we have purpose. And we have purpose for our city. And each of you in this room has a purpose for each of us in this room. Does that make sense? It's time to rise up and become the fullness of our visions and begin living out the dreams of the Father for new life and this city around us. The city needs us because you're heirs, sons and daughters of a good father. You've been given a throne in heaven and you've been given everything that the Father has to offer. Everything. So that said, we're going to go to Galatians chapter 4. You guys good? You feeling it? I'm feeling it. <laughs> well, Christopher Robin, it's cool when you get revelation from movies. You read the Bible and you get confused. And then you see it in a movie and you're like, oh, that's what that means. I get it. <laughs> now I get it. That thing I read 150 times in my life, now I understand. Because <laughs> Christop- I'm Christopher Robin. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Uh, anyways, Galatians chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 6. And so that we would know for sure that we are his true children, God released the spirit of sonship into our hearts, moving us to cry out intimately, My Father, you're our true Father. Now we're no longer living like slaves under the law, but we enjoy being God's very own and daughters and because we're his like I said we can access everything our father has for we are heirs of God through Jesus his Messiah everything not half of it it's not 10% it's all of it everything that we read about in here I can't stress that enough everything that we read about in here the miracles the signs the wonders everything that Jesus did the earth quaking. Maybe we don't want that to happen, but if we need it to happen, we'll use it. You know what I'm saying? If we have enemies all around us and we need the earth to shake, shake it. We have access to that. We have access to some of that Old Testament stuff too where the, you know, the earth opens up and swallows people. <laughs> I was, that's okay, road side joke. When, when the Packers play the Bears, I pray for that. Because <laughs> then nobody wins. Yeah, anyways. <laughs> yeah. So that said, we've been given everything, but a lot of times we struggle. Like I said, we struggle, and I think there's something that we need to kind of address a little bit. 
I'm going to do it with kindness, hopefully. But we need to, I think we need to stop slave speech, slave talk, slave mentality. We need to, we need to eliminate this thing. Because I think a lot of times what we do is we do these I don'ts, I haven'ts, I can'ts, a lot of these things. And that's, that's, I'm just calling it slave speech if that, I don't know how else to word it. But that's, I think because it says that we're not slaves anymore in that Galatians thing we just read. We're not slaves anymore, we've been given sonship. We are sons and daughters. So it's time to start declaring our worth. But a lot of times what we do, we have all these, these I don'ts. I don't swear. I don't fight. I don't hate. I don't get drunk. I don't do this. I don't do that. And we use those things to define our holiness. This is how we kind of tell people that we're Christians by, I don't do this. I don't do that. I don't do this. When we should be telling them, I know this guy. I know a guy. Do you ever, does anybody know a guy that knows, that always knows a guy? You ever know somebody like that? Anything you need. Oh, I know a guy. Anything you can come up with. Oh, my tire fell off. I know a guy. Ours is Jerry. <laughs> hey, my tire fell off my truck. Oh, I know a guy. You know, or like, you know, Vince, when Vince was here, you know, hey, my electricity just stopped working. Well, Vince is an electrician. Hey, I know a guy. That's, who, that's what we do. That's, what, that's, that's us. That's Christ in us. We get to do that in every scenario that anybody can come up with. Anything. My son called me and he's mad at me today. Hey, I know a guy. You know? My finances are low. Hey, I know a guy. This is all fresh right here. I didn't even think of this till right now, so just deal with that. This is good. I know a guy. <laughs> so, you know, it's, I want us to stop defining ourselves by what we don't do. And, 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 all the, and this, is another th- this is another one we do is these heavens. Because this is another thing that we define. I think we kind of control our holiness by, our righteousness. We, we, we do these I haven'ts, right? So I haven't seen a miracle. I haven't gone to church. I haven't read my Bible. I haven't spent 35 hours in prayer this week. I haven't done a good deed. I haven't blah, 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 right? There's all these things that we haven't. I haven't done this, therefore I'm no good. So we do this. This is how we define ourselves. We tend to. Maybe you guys don't. Some of you may. Some of you may not. But I know a lot of people that I've experienced in life, and some of them, we we define our Christianity by, I don't do this, I don't do that, and I don't do this, therefore I'm good. But then I haven't done this, I haven't done that, I haven't seen this, therefore I'm not good. You see, like all this stuff is just negative. It's negative. It's slave talk. I have, okay, I wrote a little book here, so just deal with this. There's some things I can't say with my words coming directly out of my mouth. I need, this is all, my, this is my words, they're my mind. I just have to write them down. See, the problem with slave thinking is this. We define our holiness by all the big, huge things we don't or haven't done. But then that trickles down into the little stuff. It trickles down into, I didn't get mad at my kids. I didn't yell when the guy cut me off. I didn't get cut and cut corners at my job. And so, man, look at me. I'm so holy because I didn't yell at my kids. Look at how good I am. I'm doing good. The problem with this is that it then sets us up for failure when the inevitable happens. And when we do get mad at the kids, okay? When we do yell at the guy who cut us off and... You know, bad words might have came out. I don't know. Your hand might have been raised in a salute. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Those things might happen. And you will. It's been said that failure is not an option. This statement's meant to be like, you know, you can't fail. We're not going to do. We're going to go. But I'm going to flip it on its end today. Failure is not an option because it's not an option. You're going to. Sorry. (laughs) It's just going to be the way it goes. You're going to fail. It's just the way that life is. And this is not a condemnation by any stretch of the imagination. These are just the facts. We're weak. We struggle. But the problem is that when we make these little mistakes, that we hinge our entire holiness on them. We hinge everything. As soon as I I get mad at the guy who cut me off, I don't even know why I'm a Christian anymore. I should just never go to church again. 
Uh, I, God hates me. I know it because I yelled at that guy. And then all this stuff, you know what I'm saying? And we like, we spiral down into this thing that completely takes us away from our relationship with Christ. It removes us from them because we're sitting there worried about the little stuff, the little things that, you know, whatever, it, it, they just come. And we hinge our holiness on them, and then we completely remove our holiness, and we completely step down off of our thrones, and we completely believe we aren't good enough because of simple human glitches or choices. Oh, man, I didn't mean to do that. Where'd it go? There it is. So I'm here to tell you that there are only a few things that actually remove us from our position seated with Christ. And those are the big ones. The lying. The murder. The adultery. And then guess what? The cool thing about Jesus is that even if you have done those things, he's still, he's still cool with you. Because there's a whole Bible about a bunch of people that, you know, the guy after his own heart was a murderous, adulterous, boremonger. <laughs> right? I mean, if we look at it from our perspective. But that's the one that God goes, that's him. Because God's authentic. He's authentic in everything he does. And he's not going to sit here and sugarcoat it for us, but he's going to give us the guys to look at, like David and, you know, Elijah, who, who you know, failed in this thing. And when he, you know, he cast down fire upon all these bad guys and all that, you know, and then all of a sudden, what's his name? Jezebel, or what's her name? Jezebel says this and he runs away. And the weird thing about it, while he's out there running away because she was going to kill him, the weird thing about it when he ran away, I don't know who said this. I just heard this recently. The weird thing about it was when he ran away from being killed because he was afraid of being killed, he asked God to kill him. How dumb is that? I'm going to run from death and then ask for it. But it's because he wanted to control it. He wanted to control his death. And I think we tend to do that quite a bit. We try to control these things. Um, yeah, that was fresh. That was free. There you go. Uh, there's only a few things that take us. These little things are the things that make us authentic in our humility, in our humanity, and help us to realize we need Jesus. We work on this stuff while sitting under the throne of grace, and at the end of the day, after I failed and yelled at my kid, or after I yelled at the guy in the corner that cut me off, or if I, you know, cut it, I cut a corner at work, whatever. If at the end of the day I repent of those things and I, I work on being better, that's what it's all about. And if I'm calling Christ king at the end of the day instead of myself, then I'm firmly seated on that throne when I lay my head down on that pillow. And that's what I want you guys to know today. You're firmly seated on the throne as long as we're walking towards him. We're going to trip, fall, land on our faces, we're going to smash our face into the ground and get up bloody. But if we keep walking forward, we're always going in the right direction. And that's the authentic thing. That's the way to live. It's the way to be. And we should be defining our holiness by whom we're in love with, right? Like I was kind of saying earlier. This is the way we should be defining our holiness, our relationship with the king. I know a guy. I know a guy. So I'm going to quit. You don't need to turn there unless you want to. I'm not going to read it or anything. I just thought of that. I just had this interesting thought. Oh, man. I always go too long, but it's okay. I don't get to do this very often. So, so in Genesis chapter 3, right? After Adam and Eve had ate the fruit. This is just something that I want you guys to see because it's an interesting thought that I had. At this point, they'd walked with Jesus many, many, many times in the cool of the day. They'd done all this stuff, but then they eat the fruit and everything goes wrong, right? Because that was the one thing he asked them not to do. But now here he is hiding. Adam's hiding. They covered themselves. And Adam says... I heard you and I became afraid because I was naked. I just saw three little things in this quickly. I'm not even going to talk about them that long, but they're good. Because this is where we kind of, we, we, this is where when we start jumping off the deep end with the don'ts and the haven'ts, we start doing all these things and we start believing like I was saying, like, oh, well, God couldn't possibly love me because look at what I just did, right? But here's what's cool. After they ate the fruit, 
after they were naked and afraid, Jesus still, or God, God still comes to walk with them. He was there to walk with them. That's what he was coming to do, what they did every day. It's time, it's 3 o'clock, time for the walk. He showed up. He showed up. He knew. He knew that they, they ate the fruit. He knew that they did it. He knew they were naked yesterday. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He knew they were naked yesterday. And he knows they're whatever that they were naked today, he, but it didn't matter. That's how the design was. Whatever. It's weird to us now because it's that far later. Then God asked him, who told you, man? Who told you you were naked? That's what I want to see. That's, Adam's, Adam started kind of self-inflicting already at this point, like kind of what I was talking about with us. He's like, oh, I've got to cover up. Look at me. I'm, I'm disgusting. I'm an animal. Oh, I've got to get out of here. Find me a tree to hide because Jesus or no, God's coming. I've got to hide. That's what we do, right? Oh, man. I yelled at the guy. I've got to hide. Right? When he ate the fruit, he got down off his throne. God had given him, this is your kingdom. This is yours. I just want to come walk in it with you every once in a while. I want to do this thing with you. This is your kingdom. You name the animals. You do this. This is your world. You are king of this place. I give you dominion. But when they ate the fruit, they got down off of their throne, and they kind of threw, that's where we lost our identity. And here's the thing about it. This is what I thought was cool because I I, my thing is always if you call Christ king at the end of the day, you're doing it right. That's it. But at the end, they got kicked out. You know, they got punished because you got to get disciplined when you do something wrong. It's just the deal. It's the deal with it. That's the way it goes. They got kicked out of Edom, but, but Adam still called Christ king at the end of the day. And in spite of his failings, it was still awarded to him to be the father of humanity. God didn't just wipe him out and start over. Because he loved them, because he walked with them. Man, I got a little bit more. You guys good? Can you handle it? But anyways, this I just thought this was interesting because this is arguably probably the greatest sin that's ever happened on earth, right? Like there's been worse stuff than maybe, but than eating a piece of fruit. But this is the one that whatever it is, is it six thousand, eight thousand years later, we're still standing here talking about it. So it obviously has some significance, right? What I want you to know is that if you yelled at your kids this morning, if you yelled at the guy who cut you off, if you yelled at somebody the other day, if you're breaking the rules somewhere here and there, this little stuff, nobody, nobody's going to talk about it in eight thousand years. <laughs> Trust me, okay? Nobody cares. Nobody cares. And so we can walk this life out knowing that. That's just the way it goes. So now it's time for these defining moments, right? If we step into our divine moments and defining moments that God has for us in 19 and 20, like I was talking about, our hearts will be transformed, our homes will be transformed, our families will be transformed, and the city will be transformed in such a way that it could possibly be talked about in a thousand or so years. Because we're still talking about 1906. There's books written about it. Those books aren't going to burn unless something real bad happens. All that stuff is history. It's all there. It's laid out for us. So if something happens in this great city of ours, it could still be talked about. Okay, quickly, I'm going to burn through the end of this just because it's awesome. First Samuel chapter 14. I want to talk about defining moments. I'm doing like three sermons in one. I didn't realize that. Just it's all good. So like I said, you don't get to do it. You got to spit it. You got to spit it. So we're going to go to chapter 14. But before we get there, there's a couple things, just a little setup. Okay. So a little setup. Samuel anoints Saul king. And then everybody goes home, nothing happens. Everybody just, you know, like he just goes home and starts tending the land again. Some bad guys show up, and everybody goes, hey, where's Saul? They said, you know, we anointed him king so that you could kill bad guys because apparently we can't do it by ourselves because they, they gave up on God, right? Saul defeats the bad guys. Everybody says, yay, we have a king, even though they didn't regard him as a king before that, even though he was anointed as king and everybody knew it, but it was just a weird situation. So we have a king, and Samuel gives this 
awesome farewell speech. He tells them to not turn aside from the Lord. Consider what the Lord has already done, he tells them. And he says, I want to be back in seven days, and we'll do the sacrifice, and we'll go take out more bad guys. Then Saul thinks that he's cool, and he starts to go fight somebody before Samuel gets back. And then he gets nervous because everybody, you know, he's not, like, not knowing what to do. So then he does the sacrifice on his own before Samuel gets back. And then what happens? Everybody runs, everybody runs away because the Philistines are there, and they're wiping them out. And they're basically beating them to death, and they're all dying, and everybody, it's major war. And so everybody runs off into the woods, okay? That's where we are. Now we're, now we're at chapter 14. I'm going to read it. It's going to take me a minute. I promise I'll be done in 10 minutes. You go, okay? All right. I'm in the ESV. So it doesn't matter. This is so cool. Wait. Wait till you see. Wait till you see. This is so fun. One day, Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah in the pomegranate cave. So, see, they're in a cave. They're hiding. At Migron, the people who were with him were about 600 men. So he had, before that, I think he had 30,000. So he had 600 dudes left. I think Jonathan has like 300. So there's, not, you know, a very small percentage left. Let's see. The people who were with him were about 600 men, including Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the, the priest of the Lord in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. And the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Within the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag on the one side and a rocky crag on the other side. The name of the one was Bozes, the name of the other, Sina. The one crag rose on the north in front of Michmash, and the other on the south in front of Geba. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. I thought that was cool. This is a little side note, because that was David's thing that he said. And this is his best friend that he doesn't know yet. Anyways, just thought that was neat. Like minds, that's why they became such good friends. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. This is my favorite part. And his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. For behold, I am with you, heart and soul. I think we all need that guy, right? We all need that one. I'm with you, heart and soul. Whatever it is you say, whatever, whatever, I'm with you. I'm, I'm done, I'm done. Let's go. Then Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over to the men, and we will show ourselves to them. If they say to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place, and we will not go up to them. But if they say, Come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has given them into our hand. And this shall be the sign to us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, uh, hidden, hidden. And the Philistines said, Look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have been hiding themselves. And the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Hey, come up. This is the cool part. So, synopsis, real quick. So they go up there, because, you know, Jonathan said, hey, we'll do whatever. They go up there, and then Jonathan just starts walking. I don't know if you ever envisioned this, this story. Jonathan just starts walking, and these guys fall down around him as he's walking. And his armor bearer is the one that does the stabbing. I know it's kind of gruesome, but whatever. Like, so Jonathan's just walking, and they start falling down around him, and then the armor bearer just comes and takes him out behind him. That's a pretty easy battle, right? I'll take that fight any day of the week. But that's the fight we have with God, right? Anyways. And they fell before Jonathan, his armor bearer, killed them after him. So then they start running around. I'm going to, here. They start running around like crazy. The Philistines are going, they don't know what's going on. And so they're falling before this guy, and the armor bearer is behind him, killing him. And then in case that wasn't enough, these guys start panicking. And guess what God does? Because God knows the moment. God knows the moment. So he shakes the earth. (laughs) Big earthquakes happening. Now everybody's panicking. And now they just start killing each other. That's the kind of battle that you get to walk in. If you're having a struggle, if you're having a battle, that's the kind of battle that you have. 
Find somebody that will say to you, I am with you, heart and soul, and go walking into that thing and let them do the hard work behind you. That's what we're all here for. We're each other's armor bearers. That's why I'm here. That's why Pastor Terry's here. That's why you guys are here. We can't do this thing without you. I can stand up there and sing all day like I've said before, but if you guys aren't here, I'm just singing by myself. You know what I'm saying? This is so good. So here, I'm going to just go back to this really quick. Saul was in the slave mentality that we were talking about before. He was, he was afraid. The people were scattering, and everything was going wrong. And so he panicked. How many times have you panicked <laughs> when everything was going wrong? So it's understandable, right? He was full of uh, anxiety because Samuel wasn't there yet. Let me ask you this. How many times have you jumped out when something wasn't happening in your time? <laughs> you know, he said, Samuel said seven days, I'm going to be there. Or if God promised you something, God promised you something in your life, and it starts going like, well, wait a minute, it's not happening. So we freak out, and we start waiting, trying to do everything. Well, I'm going to just try to solve the problem. I'm going to, sacri- I'm going to make the sacrifice because Samuel's not here yet. He's obviously not coming. Everything's going wrong. Anxiety. Ah! Right? He was also selfish. He was worried about himself. He's only got 600 dudes with him. These guys are surrounding us. I'm dead. So I'm going to do so. I know that God does stuff when we sacrifice stuff. And I know that he does things when we bring the ark out. So let's do that. Because I want to protect myself. So then he starts using religion, basically, as opposed to his relationship. And how many times have you been there? If you're going to tell me that you haven't been selfish in your life, you're being selfish right now. Right? (laughs) Now, Jonathan, this is really cool. He flipped the script. His dad was away. His dad was acting a certain way, but not Jonathan. Jonathan was fearless. He said, come, let us go. Told his armor bearer, let's go. That's the cool part about it. I don't know if you caught it. He He said to the armor bearer, it might be that the Lord will work for us. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. But I'm going to go. You know what I'm saying? Like, it might, he might. Because I know, and he says, because nothing can hinder the Lord from saving us. I know that, but I don't know when I'm walking up to these bad guys that want to kill me. You know what I'm saying? But he was fearless. And I just like that guy. I'm with you heart and soul. I like him. That armor bearer was where it's at. I want one. I think I got one in my wifey. I know I do, actually. And when Saul was anxious, Jonathan was peaceful. And like I said, it might be. It might be that God. He's, he's not even like, he's like, man, whatever. You know what I mean? I'm going to walk over here. They call me up there. I'm going to go up there and everything's going to be okay. If they don't, then we'll take off because it's not. Because, I'm, you know, like, it's, we'll, we'll see what happens. He's super confident in God and his promise as opposed to Saul who had no faith and was falling apart on every level. And then opposite again, Jonathan was selfless. They left by themselves for the sake of the rest. And Jonathan was willing to give himself. He was willing to go die, basically. He didn't know. if If he thought... I know he didn't think this. I know like, he's not thinking, well, when I walk up there, all these guys are going to fall down in front of me. It's not what his thought was. He just knew that if God did this, that everything was going to work out. So that's where we got to get to. We got to get to that point where it might be that God does something, but we just got to start stepping out. That's what 2019, 2020, we're going to start having our healing services on Wednesdays. Because we got to say, it might be that God shows up. It might be. I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know if the enemy's going to fall down around us. I don't know if we're going to have to struggle through it. I don't know what's going to happen, but we got to go. we got to do it because he said so. And it's his promises that are fulfilled in the faithful. 
than you and me. So what's next? I got another reading for you of of my wisdom. So I'm going to use a thought that I've had, and I've even heard a little bit. I've heard it around. I've heard it from a couple people. I've heard it even a couple people in the city that weren't part of our church. But it, simply put, one of the things that I've heard said, and I've even personally felt, is that our church or our city has had no mentors to follow or to walk after or to walk in their impartation. This is the kind of the drive of grand, our grand city, I think. And I believe it's kind of intentional on God's part that we're out here in the tundra, living a dream. Because one of the things I know is embedded deeply in the roots of our grand city is that we're a bunch of hardworking, innovative, get-stuff-done people. I've heard a lot of stories of people like Bill Johnson or Chris Gore or Randy Clark. They tell of all these revivalists that they got to work under or work with. And they experience these guys all get to work together, but we're still out here, you know, living a dream in our grand city. And so we don't get to see that stuff as often. We get to see it from afar. We get to see it in all that stuff. But we don't get to experience the knowledge of living under somebody does that make sense that that has the experience of revival? We have our pastors who had revival here, you know, and they got an impartation when they left. But it's, again, it has to come from when you leave, you got to go get an impartation. That's how it kind of is here in our, in our great grand city, is you got to go get one and come back with it and bring it here, you know. However, I still think that we're still on the verge of accessing all of the same things that those people are experiencing because God is faithful to those who are faithful to him. And I believe that you and I in this room and and the future people that will be in this room are going to be mentors to an entire city. We're going to be the ones. I want to say like that we're going to be the ones that are talked about. And I'm not saying that as some, I don't want to be talked about. It's not about that. But this church has such a purpose in this city that it's going to be known in the region. Let's just, I'm prophesying to you. How about that? So you don't think I'm being something. I know that that's what God's saying. I know that that's what he's doing. How about that? And there's more, there's even more than 13 in here right now. There's more than 13 burning ones in this building right now. And we know there's other ones that aren't even here right now because they're out doing whatever they do. And it's not an arrogant or a lofty position. We have to claim our position, and we have to step up and sit down on our thrones. We're seated with him who came to the manger that we're about to celebrate next week. So it's not arrogance. It's not that. When we're seated on our thrones, it's not arrogance because that's how he came. He's seated on the king. He's king of kings, lord of lords. He's the righteous one. But he's also the lowly king, the servant king, the humble king, the I only do what I see the father do king. And that's the kind of throne that we sit on. A low king. A servant to a city. This is going to be fun. This all happened last night. I don't know if it's because it was late at night and I wasn't thinking straight, but Here you go. So let's stop abusing ourselves and start acknowledging ourselves. Let's stop berating ourselves and start believing in ourselves. Let's stop crushing ourselves and start celebrating ourselves. Let's stop destroying ourselves and start delighting in ourselves. Let's stop executing ourselves and start elating in ourselves. You need to keep going. i got a couple more. Frustrating and freeing. Stop glaring at ourselves and start glorying in ourselves. Stop hating ourselves and start honoring ourselves. Let's stop speaking idiocy over our minds and start declaring intelligence. Let's stop thinking we're just a joke when we're actually justified 
sons and daughters of the living king who are enthroned with him in the heavenly places and let's take our place and authority over our lives, our homes, our church, and our city that has been granted to us by our Papa. Let's become the visible display of his infinite and limitless riches of his grace and kindness. Amen? Let me pray at you. Thank you, Jesus, for the people in this room. Thank you for those who aren't here because they're on work trips or they just need to lay in bed because they've got to take care of their little baby. Thank you for those who aren't here that aren't here yet because they don't know that they're here yet. Thank you for those that are going to come through these doors over the next two years that are going to grow this church that are going to grow, not because we want numbers to see numbers, but because we need numbers to attack this city with your joy and with your love and with your peace and with your kindness. Come on, Lord. Come be upon us in such a way that we shine, that we glory, that we become the visible display of who you are. Let us be mirrors of your greatness. Let us be mirrors of your light. Let us be mirrors of your shining, glorious sun. And let your Holy Spirit work in us in a way that we can hear you clearly for people in the street. That we can hear you clearly for people at the grocery store. That we can hear you clearly, even if it's just to declare something into heaven, so that you can come down and light it on fire. Come on, Lord, be who you are in our city, be who you are in our church, be who you are in our homes and in our lives, God, and in our jobs. Be who you are. Be King of kings, Lord of lords, almighty God, the one true king, and let us just be the visible display of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah. We've got to pray if you want it. Woo!